This is the Education Gadfly Show. There are two Christmas songs that are good that have been written in the last 50 years, and that's one of them. So I'm What's the other one? What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Mariah Carey of Education Reform, ringing in the new year, Alyssa Schwank. I would like my hot tea now, please, Mike. All right, Mar- Mariah <laughs> Carey, we finally can stop listening to her Christmas song after hearing it. 7,000 times over the last 30 days. You know what? There are two Christmas songs that are good that have been written in the last 50 years, and that's one of them. So I'm What's the other one? Last Christmas. Uh, that's Hands pretty down. good. Yep, Hands down. Yep. But uh, I also like the U2 stuff. The uh, what? Uh, oh, I didn't even know U2 did Christmas. Songs. Well, what uh, I'm trying to think about, you know, about it's sort of you know more the uh, you know kids in Africa song. I can't. Oh, uh, right now, Chris no Minnick looks like he wants about. to weigh in. <laughs> and that voice that, that uh, comes through is our special guest for the week, Chris Minnick, who has no idea what we're talking about, but he is right now the executive director of the Council of Chief State School Officers. But he is soon to be the CEO of N. W-E-A, which people know as the creator of the MAP assessment. Yeah. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's exciting to be here before I move across the country to Oregon. You are moving mm-hmm. back home, yes. right? Yes. Back home. You're going to be living in, in Portland, is it? Yeah, it's yeah. in Portland, Oregon. And yeah, and we sometimes the news from D.C. gets out there, other times it doesn't. So yeah. we have to, well, I'll have to keep following for Lucky you. you look, we, podcasts? Look, uh, all joking aside, but people, uh, a lot of people around the country love the podcast because mm-hmm. they feel like it keeps them in touch yep. with us Washington elites, with the swamp. Well, the important people. Yeah, that's what I say. <laughs> exactly. Sure, sure. I wear that as a badge of yes. honor. My dad, who, uh, you know, is is a big Trump supporter now and, and uh, oh. constantly uh, reminds me about how, how I am a captured, been captured by the swamp. I'm a swamp creature. Chris. Oh, wow. Oh. I'm Sounds like creature. a lovely Christmas dinner conversation. Hey, well, it was interesting. It was interesting this year. <laughs> Are you that kind of father to your kids? As well? well, they. I do have strong opinions. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but uh, it's complicated. It's complicated. I, I will say, my ten year old at the time, what was he eight? Was uh, yeah, trying to talk me out of my my vote in 2016 while we were biking to the polling station. Well, at least he did he's not politically succeed. engaged already. He, oh, he is yeah. that. This he was also the kid that at a staff party. I will never stop telling the story. Stood up in the middle of a staff party. A Christmas party, holiday party for ed reformers and made an impassioned plea for social studies. And I'm like, kid, you're preaching to the choir. Yeah, yeah. He, he was probably in about first grade by then. And exactly the time when we do not teach any social studies. Which oh is boy. a whole nother hill. The apple does not fall uh, far from that tree. No, not. But I do hope he pursues his own interests. <laughs> Which right now, uh, although not not tackle football, which is right now what he wants to uh, pursue, which I've, I'm just begging that the high school where, where we live, uh, bans tackle football by the, before he gets there. (laughs) That's my plan right now. Anyway. Okay. Hey, Uh, uh, it is the new year. There is a lot (laughs) happening. Let's do it. It's time for Ed Reform Update. You were around during the the development of the Common Core and then the Common Core Wars of 2013, 2014. I've heard of them, yeah. Yes. You've heard of them, exactly. And now you're on to to new things. I'm going to oversee this this, uh, assessment uh, organization. Let's talk about looking forward. I I know you're going to have to work with these uh, state superintendents, so you're not going to, I can't get you to dish on them. (laughs) 
Uh, but w- when you look ahead, uh, and we're now in this ESSA implementation phase, uh, the power really has been given over to the mm-hmm. states by and large. Uh, are, are you optimistic? Because a lot of education reformers are not feeling optimistic. Uh, they and, and, and in fact, uh, over the holidays, Claudia Sanchez, uh, NPR, mm-hmm. longtime education reporter, said that he, he thinks that any progress we've been making on the achievement gap is going to hit a wall, uh, that uh, states basically are, are not going to be, can't, can't be trusted with this. I, you know, I, I think it's a different paradigm than we have been used to over the last 10 years. So I've been here to, in D.C. for 10 years, and largely in those 10 years, the federal government has been driving the conversation on education mm-hmm. reform. And so if you are skeptical that states will do anything, I can understand that perspective. Yeah. But, you know, I've been working with these state chiefs for 10 years now, and we are at a moment where they are starting to understand they got to do something. And um, I think the ESSA plans are, uh, there's obviously some strong things and some weak things. I thought your review uh, here at Fordham was interesting, and there's obviously other reviews. Interesting, interesting. We we were like so positive. Are you you kidding me? That's it? Interesting? Uh, (laughs) It was interesting. but uh, But I think the biggest thing is that the states have to own this. If they don't own it, we're going to, Claudio's right. Yeah. And if we do own it, then things will start to change in the state. There's no reason that each state couldn't do what the federal government has done in terms All right, of but, pushing. But, but, but what is it, Chris? Let's get specific here. Okay. I mean, for the last 20 years or 25 years, it's been standards-based reform, yeah. you know, set the standards, assess regularly, hold schools accountable. Recent years, we've, we've raised the standards, mm-hmm. we've improved the tests, we've now, I, we think, improved the accountability yeah. system. Uh, but is, is that still the, the primary strategy or is there something else that states are hoping to use to move the needle? Like, for example, curriculum-based reform mm-hmm. as we see yeah. in Louisiana. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, you got to keep those standards because I think that's what brings us up to a certain level. Like, uh, we can get to 80% of those kids if we just hold high expectations. I'm using round numbers. I don't know what the exact number is, but the last 20% are a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a combination of engaging kids differently in education, thinking about other opportunities, thinking about career readiness more seriously, mm-hmm. um, thinking about what's in front of our kids, you know, the the curriculum choices that, yeah. that teachers are making. So I, I don't think with the same strategies we can get to every kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we can raise the bar. And I think, I think the standards movement was really important. The assessment movement is still really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we're not going to get to all kids unless we change some of our tactics, too. Yeah. Well, and even 80%. I mean, right yeah. now, I would argue, what, I mean, what do you think, Alyssa? It's like 40%. Yeah, we're getting, what, 40 on to 50% college ready. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, if a rising tide raises all boats, like, the tide still has to get a little bit higher. For lot, sure. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I just think we got to, and states are going to have to reckon with it. This is where state chiefs can really make a difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at Tennessee or Louisiana or Massachusetts mm-hmm. or even Florida, there's been a sustained commitment to mm-hmm. excellence there from the chief down. Yeah. And the governor down. The governor yeah. down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And who, in those places, uh, appoints, I think. But it, it's just really, um, uh, the changes that happen in, in state systems over time, like in Alabama, we're on our fourth state chief in like four months. Yeah, I mean, uh, like huh. it's just really hard to, uh, uh, to maintain any momentum. Yeah. Thankfully, no, Alabama is one of our better education systems. Well, you so, know, I mean, but yeah. they're trying to do some things. They're trying to, I mean, like, I know, I know. like, like with Montgomery, they're <laughs> really know, working. And, and yeah. so, so this is, and, and, but if you, if you just Roll don't tide. have the political yeah. consistency, mm-hmm. consistency, it's going to be really hard. Yeah. But, but, you know, but oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, that's something too, that a lot of chiefs that we've had on have said, like, yeah. uh, 
Candace McQueen, who's worked in Democratic and Republican yeah. administrations. Like, you need that political bulwark to actually mm-hmm. make progress. I think you can make more progress, though, at a state level than you can at the federal level. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I think that's why this deal that we've made now, mm-hmm. that it, where the control goes back to the states, I think we're going to see more progress in some places and in yeah. other places we might see some lagging and that'll be a big problem for ed reform. Well, and we'll mm-hmm. see. I mean, look, 36 uh, uh, governor's races this year. We'll see if any of them are going to run as the education governor. Right. I mean, it's been a while since yeah. we've heard that kind of rhetoric. Uh, if anything, the worry is that they're going to run as being an anti-testing or uh, Democrats will run as being anti-school choice, mm-hmm. anti-Betsy DeVos. But what's the end game on the anti-testing piece? Like, That's, I mean, I don't know. Well, what do you yeah. put forward as well, the positive vision? I mean, the, one of my political... The end game is getting elected. That's all. Yeah, I mean, that, well, that, okay. yeah. One of my political science professors in college, though, said, if you're anti-something, you're, that'll get you one election, but it won't get you four. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. So maybe, maybe one term of... Yeah sort of wandering. Anyway, right. sorry, Mike. Kind of well, no, and, and uh, last question. There was a time when it felt like state leaders, governors, and, and superintendents cared about, for example, the NAEP. You know, they wanted to be the next state to show big gains on the NAEP. And over the history, we've, you know, it was Texas and North Carolina back in the 90s, you know, then Massachusetts, Florida, more recently, Tennessee and D.C. Uh, you know, some people argue Arizona, New Jersey actually mm-hmm. doesn't get the attention it deserves for some pretty strong gains more recently. But uh, is that part of the conversation? I mean, do these state superintendents think to themselves, I am only successful if I move the needle on student achievement. Absolutely. Uh, is, you think yeah, that's still there? So, you know, you guys have reviewed the plans. How many states have said they're going to be the fastest growing state in the nation? No, I didn't read those parts. Okay. I don't, oh, right, those so are just all bullshit. He doesn't bullshit. believe yeah. it. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Edit that out. We'll edit, edit that out. Yeah, but I mean, I, I know of at least three that have said they're going to be the fastest growing state in the nation. So, let me tell you, I mean, they've put academics at the center of these plans. Yeah. Sometimes, maybe even too much. Yeah. Right? And so... Um, I don't know what the right number is in terms of test scores versus, mm-hmm. you know, social emotional stuff. I just know we're trying to balance it out. Mm-hmm. And I think state soups, they demand that uh, academics are front and center. They yep. do. And so I don't see that changing at all. The question is, can we move the needle on those things without mm-hmm. doing other things? Right. Right. Like without just like, I think we got to support kids in a different way. I think we got to give kids other options to get through high school. You know what um, else we got to do? We got to make them work hard, Chris. Well, the, I mean, some of that too. <laughs> we got to hold enough, uh, high enough standard that kids don't just get passed through. I yeah. Mean, we saw, we saw what was happening here in DC. That's not yeah. a good thing for anybody. That's right. right. All right. Good. Hey, you're going to, you're going to make that map test better. Uh, we're we're going to keep working on it. <laughs> All right. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta make sure, hey, when, when you report to parents about how the kids are doing, make sure they don't get the per- impression that the kids are doing fine. Oh, they're at the 50th percentile. That sounds good. Yeah. Make, make it clear, you know, hey, your kids on track to live in your basement. For the rest of your life, if they don't improve their is reading that, and math skills, is, I want that language in your. Is parent that report. like a level of? Is that basic? Is that yes, the new basic? That's the ba- the basement. Yes. Okay. Mike, we will take this offline. <laughs> because I can tell you've got some you've got some real serious concerns about your I, school life. So you. I, will, well, I will have that conversation. No, but seriously, yeah. look. The 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 worry is. Uh, I don't even know that teachers who analyze the map test understand just how high the bar is. That you probably have to be at something like the sixty fifth or seventieth percentile nationally to be on track for college success. Well, working with teachers is a big deal. Like, you yeah. can't just give them the data. You got to yeah. yeah. help them understand it. So all right. I'm, I'm, I'm glad, all in glad you're going to be there. Awesome. And, and now I'll get to criticize you in a whole new role. I can't wait. All right, <laughs> good. All right, Chris, thanks for coming on. We will miss you here in D.C., but keep oh, yeah. in touch. Thanks so much, Mike. All right, Chris Minnick of the Council of Chiefs Day School Officers and soon NWEA. And now it's time for everyone's favorite, a special Amber's Research Minute. 
Welcome back to the show. Thank Amber. you, Mike. Hey, did, did you have a, a certain channel you were watching on New Year's Eve as the ball uh, dropped? Well, you know, I, what, Ryan Seacrest. Got to yeah. watch him. Mm-hmm. Was know. that where Mariah? Mariah was, was yeah. and Mariah, that's where Steve Harvey officiated yeah. the wedding. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I was with a bunch of eight-year-olds and ten-year-olds uh, ringing in the New Year, yeah. and so I, I we, we we watched the TV a little bit, and then there was a lot of mayhem. Did they make it to midnight? Like <laughs> they how old did are make wow. it to midnight. Let me tell you how the next day went. That's rough. That is rough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So, Amber, (laughs) speaking of ringing in the new year, it is exciting. We've been looking forward to this for so long. It is Amber's annual take on the the best best studies studies of the previous year. K-12 education studies. I love looking at these things. I mean, I look through every study we covered all year and what other people have studied. Um, I always want to do five, but it's impossible. So, we have six. I mean, just six. That's fine. I'm going to go. It's a special category. Six for 17. That sounds pretty good. All right. We're going to count down. So number six, at the risk of tooting our own horn. Number six is one of Fordham Studies. Uh, Teacher Absences was released in September by our own David Griffith, a straightforward descriptive study that asks a simple but powerful question. How do teacher absences compare in charter and traditional public Mm -hmm. schools? People cared about oh this. Oh my gosh. Blockbuster, <laughs> wow. baby. Wow. The key finding was that nationally, teachers in traditional public schools are almost three times as likely to be chronically absent. That means they miss more than 11 days as teachers in charter schools. Specifically, uh, those rates were 28.3% in the traditional sector and 10.3% in the charter sector. And then teachers in unionized charters were also twice as likely mm-hmm. to be chronically mm-hmm. absent as in the non-unionized charters. One of our biggest releases in recent years. Yeah, it's huge. Huge. Yep. And it just had people starting to ask, you know, how can we hold schools accountable for the attendance of their kids, mm-hmm. but not of their own teachers? Good And question. a great lesson for, for researchers, for policy wonks out there. Hey, sometimes some descriptive yeah, data, they just right. make a big impact. Mm-hmm. You don't impact. have to use the fancy econometrics and all of that. Yeah, I mean, you right. know, depending on what question you're asking, but if yeah. you just want to answer something like this, uh, it's important. And it just raises a question. Was, like, yeah. How could it be that almost three <laughs> yeah. in ten teachers in traditional public schools on? are chronically absent? Yes. That's yep. crazy. That's right. Number five. <laughs> uh, this study should have gotten a lot more attention than I did. But I'm just here to say it should have gotten more attention well, because it's a attention. teacher attention. quality study. And people just think, all oh, teacher quality, that's old news. It's not old news. It was a study released by in the summer by Tim Sass. It examined the connection oh, yeah, between yeah. teacher quality measured by value-added, Mike, mm-hmm. um, and teacher mobility. It found that better than average and worse than average teachers both had a higher likelihood of leaving teaching compared mm-hmm. to the middling teachers. Mm-hmm. And let's say it was consistent with schools losing their best teachers to more attractive outside options and losing their worst teachers to better other occupations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, most interesting to me was the fact that they found found that teachers who move tend to go to a school where the average teacher quality reflects their own. So average teachers tend to move to average schools and bottom quartile teachers tend to move to bottom quartile schools. So I think, I mean, when you think about this, it means if we finally figure out how to lure effective teachers to the schools that need the most, it's very possible that once they get there, they could say, you know, this crop of colleagues is up to snuff um, and leave. So yeah. <laughs> well, you could lure a whole bunch of them together or sometimes clear out, right? I mean, it's the idea yeah, that sometimes right. have to clean house or Learn start a new charter school, charter school and start fresh. And learn good leaders. Too. Yeah, so that's a pretty big lesson for how do we think about improving the teacher workforce. So, very cool study. Needed more attention. Uh, number four, many states are now requiring that the ACT or SAT be required for high schoolers, and then they're footing the bill. We really don't have any studies about whether this is a good idea or not. So, Josh Hyman in August looked at the required ACT policy in Michigan. He found some good and bad news. Um, just I think we would expect this before the policy. 56% of students took the ACT. Afterwards, it was 91%, and that's mm-hmm. all good. Um, particularly for uh, low-income students, they found 
found an interesting finding that those kids didn't take the ACT before the policy, even though they would have scored high on college readiness. Mm -hmm. Um, And he also found some pretty small increases in enrollment at four-year institutions, which was sort of the bad part of the story. So he ended up saying, you know what, simply requiring and paying for all these kids to take a college entrance exam can indeed increase the share of the poor kids who score at the college-ready level, Mm -hmm. but actually getting them into the college doors is another question entirely, Mm -hmm. because he didn't see those big increases actually in college. But the the colleges, they could use these data, right? I mean, they should be able yes. to now identify kids who uh, are low income and could succeed at their institutions. Oh, that's that's that right. Come on out. Reach out to them, baby. <laughs> that's right. Affirmative action. Woo-hoo. Number Thanks three. Stop. I'm moving right along. Credo had another big study in June of 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys may remember this one. This time they looked at student growth in charter networks yes. versus independent charters in 24 states. They used their virtual peer methodology again. They found that approximately 68% of charter schools are independent, meaning they didn't belong to any network. 22% were part of a CMO. On average, they find that independent charters have almost no impact on student learning gains relative to the traditional public schools. However, CMOs achieved an additional 17 days of learning in both math and reading. But again, when you drill down, they found dramatic variation in charter performance at the state level. You got CMOs in Massachusetts just keep knocking the socks off of the traditional public schools, the non-CMO, like Massachusetts CMOs are doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they found all these truly outstanding networks like Uncommon, like the names we yeah. know, Uncommon and KIPP and Success Academy and a new one, A-Method. Do you guys know A-Method? <laughs> anyway, in Oakland, 275 days of additional learning and math for A-Method. Wow. I've never heard of it. But wow. anyway, um, so I think the bottom line was, hey, uh, governance management structures rather matter when it mm-hmm. comes to some of these um, these charter schools. Yeah. And, and look, Mission matters. I mean, that, Mission that, matters. I suspect a lot of these mom and pop schools, they they may say, look, you know, boosting student achievement is not our raison d'etre. Mm-hmm. We're here to provide a, a choice. We do things differently. Uh, mm-hmm. We're a family atmosphere or whatever it is. That's right. Uh, you know, whereas with these networks, most of them have gotten funding from private funders and they've mm-hmm. grown because uh, they believe in this mission of raising achievement as a means to getting more kids into college. That's right. Success, it's built in their DNA and yeah. their culture. Right. That's, That's right. right. Okay. Interesting. Number two, they had a ton of interest this year, right, in private school choice, given the new administration, Betsy DeVos and so forth. So July 17 saw the release of an evaluation of the Indiana School Voucher Program by Mark Barron's. Remember this one? Yes. Uh, Indiana's program, just FYI, it's open to both low and middle income families. The average scholarship amount was 4,700, really low. Um, But all voucher students have to take the state test. They focused on, remember, the lowest income students. And what did they find? These low income voucher students are moving into private schools, substantially lagging behind their new peers. So they're already starting. Starting, you know, back from the get-go, very far behind. But the headline was overall they were losing. Um, they were losing great ground in math. It was looking pretty bad on the math side. The biggest losses occurred during the first and second years. They were still lagging in year three, but by year four, this was the surprising part. Um, those who remain, like who were still there, um, they had regained what they'd lost. Um, and there were at that point significant differences between the voucher and the public school kids in math. And those differences began to disappear the longer they were there. Mm-hmm. And that's not surprising though. I mean, right. we know from other studies that. Anytime a kid switches school, mm-hmm. uh, in general, they're going to lose some ground. There's a transition mm-hmm. cost. Uh, you know, we hope that it only is maybe for a year, maybe two. That's right. Uh, now, what was, what's been surprising about some of the voucher research lately is just how much ground that they have lost. Yeah. And uh, and that's an issue. But, you know, we saw Louisiana. We started to see more progress over time. And now that's we're right. to that Indiana. Uh, and that's what we say here, that maybe the, the analysts in market had a nice discussion that said maybe they're just adjusting to their new schools and the schools are adjusting to them. Yes. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. All right. Ready for number one? Ooh, who's it going to be? <laughs> it's kind of, um, well, it's the most impactful the- study of 2017, in my humble opinion. You guys remember this. The study of Mathematica about what huge... Obama program do we evaluate in 2017 and find six. six. 
it was a very it was this 2017 it was 2017 march 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 2017 uh recall these schools had to implement a turnaround transformation close or a restart model the headline was that sig dollars failed to improve math and reading scores graduation rates college enrollment uh when they were compared to their similar non-sig schools digging andy smerick is wearing a sweater vest (laughs) i told you so right (laughs) but yet when you dig a little deeper um there was modest evidence that the turnaround model in particular may have boosted slightly student Mm -hmm. math incomes outcomes but on the whole the news was very negative but you know you remember there was some back and forth and people like morgan polikoff said maybe if we just wait like in clb we wait longer maybe we'll see something i'm not holding my breath um but anyway that's i mean that was a huge that was a huge study right it was a huge study a lot of money a lot of money that was number one i have to mention we have an honorable mention sorry i have to have an honorable (laughs) (laughs) so it's seven i think it one more in just because there was a huge debate around school discipline mike you were at the front of that debate in 2017 what do you think what what was the study that catalyzed all that discussion in large part our good friend he had a a descriptive study that basically showed the teacher's perceptions of school discipline and he kind of sort of showed a correlation Mm -hmm. with suspensions and i think it catalyzed the discussion and so he gets an honorable mention absolutely and and, and max (laughs) he's been digging up data from other cities uh, that have uh, some survey data over time mm. uh, about mm. things like school climate and safety to see if this, uh, this plays out in other places. Other yeah. places, right? Mm-hmm. As as lots of places around the country are implementing school discipline. Mm-hmm. So watch out for that in 2018. That good. Very interesting. <laughs> Way to go. So those wow. are my six and honorable good. mention. And let yes. us say, uh, you know, yet again, how thankful we are that education research has improved so dramatically Absolutely. that there's now, we, we have a hard time. Yeah. I start, okay, I started with 15 for the record yeah. and I just kept <laughs> Taking them yeah. down, taking them down. But wow, there were lots of good candidates. 20 years ago, we would have been scraping the bottom. <laughs> yeah. The that's right. So that's all. All right, Amber. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you guys. And until next week, I'm Melissa Schwenk. And I'm Mike Petrilli, Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.